Podcast. In conversation with musicians from the UK jazz scene. And now your hosts, Rob Cope and Dan Farrant. Hello and welcome to the February fifth anniversary edition of the jazz podcast my name is rob cope and i'm joined with tara minton and seb scotney how are you doing tara yay i'm great rob how are you i am good seb looking good there how are you feeling i'm feeling fine and uh, congratulations on a very important and significant birthday thank you ready to go to school now we are (laughs) great way to this is just the beginning people so um, so what's been going on? Let me think. What can we talk about? I know what we can talk about because I've obviously planned this well in advance. I'm having a late life. I say late because I should have known better by now. Um, a, a total and overwhelming obsession with um, Maria Schneider at the moment. Oh. Um, yeah, and it's really refreshing that none of her music's available to stream. You have to like buy the CD. It's very old school. That's very cool. Yeah. It's very now. Yeah. I have, I have a lame claim to fame. Oh, do it, Seb, tell us. Two, two sentences out of a... She was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize for Music, and two sentences out of a review I've written appeared on the Pulitzer website. So I figure in this life I'm not going to get a Pulitzer Prize, but that's as close as I'll get. So, that's stunning. That's yeah. absolutely glorious. Yeah, I was, I, was quite, I was quite chuffed, but I might as well blow, that, blow the trumpet. Oh, yeah. And I have to say that this... In the past week, I have shamelessly cribbed and used stuff from one interview and enjoyed every minute of it. And it was just, I went back to the interview that you guys did with Rachel Cohen because oh, we're yeah. going to be featuring her for International Women's Day. And I've written a feature which will be appearing on International Women's Day. And with a bit of luck, it, because there's now, because now basically all, every website in Europe and every publisher in Europe has copied an idea that we originally had. Mah. <laughs> This uh, portrait of Rachel Cohen will appear in several languages, which is what no less than she deserves, because she is rather wonderful and rather straight speaking and rather wonderful communicator. Mm. But uh, some of the things that were in your podcast and that interview, um, she tells it straight, and uh, you set up the context for her too. I mean, I think that until now, that is without question the best thing that's been done. And I really want to say that today, of all days, to celebrate your fifth birthday with you. Well, that's very, very kind, Seb. I, we appreciate that very much. Um, I always find it very easy with the straight-talking guests because if, if you know, you kind of know where you stand and I've done some interviews, I may as well, I won't name them, but as it's the fifth anniversary, I'll at least admit I've done, I've done a few interviews that have never been aired because the guest was straight-talking enough to just be like, nah, I hated it. Let's never, let's never, <laughs> let's never air it. So I've got a few in the vault. That, and, and, and I always agreed, actually, that I, I've never like fell out with a guest about that, you know, if they've asked for it not to be played. Um, Tara, you were on Radio 3 last week. I was trying to drive yeah. home, minding my own business. And as I turned the car on, the like screen next to me, like lights up with the Nissan logo. And then it goes, Radio 3, Tara Minton and Ed Barber. I was like, oh, yeah. We were. How'd it go? Yeah, it went well. I mean, I always hate the way I play. So, of course, there was that. Um, but I listened back and actually I think I got away with it. It sounded great. It sounded absolutely lovely. 
And Thank you, uh, Sib. It's that way that he, they basically, you know, they kind of, you, you're like the kind of floor show. It's, you know, you're on, you know. I mean, there's no looking back. There's no nowhere to hide. There's no second chances. You're on, basically. And, yeah. Uh, that, I think, unless I'm told otherwise, is what jazz musicians do and do rather well. And whereas everybody can be a critic and probably everybody thinks they can do a podcast as well, not everybody can do what you people do. End of story. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Sib. I agree I, with that, Seb. That's a great way to put it. They just toss you in the deep end. They do. Is that how it felt? They, they, throw, oh, you in. they throw you in the deep end. But that's they throw you in <laughs> But uh, yeah, the, you would say what's been happening. And, uh, yes, I give us the I, news. I, well, there's the, I mean, just went and looked back at our stats at the beginning of the year, and the most popular piece is the fact that the Nikki Isles got a, an award in the New Year Honours list. Um, and that's something rather special and something that's very well deserved. Um, wait, wait, wait. Uh, the, what, what award did she get? It's called the BEM, which Ooh. is British Empire Medal. And that wow. was announced in the New Year's. But so, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, she's uh, services to, to music and uh, she's been going through, I mean, she's had a couple of stints recently with the big bands in, in Germany, one in the one with the Frankfurt Radio and one with the NDR in, in Hamburg, where Policy First Love also is and things. And she is um, just one of those immensely talented people who works harder than the rest of us could ever imagine. I mean, she does get so much done in a in a day, and she teaches, and she's inspires and lifts and does wonderful things. I spoke to Imi, Nikki's daughter. Just going to put that in brackets. Do yes. doing brackets with my arms here, <laughs> as if it helps the listener. <laughs> well, Imi said that when she was eight months old, Nikki went on tour to Australia and brought Imi with her. Nice! Wow! I know what a boss. Yeah. <laughs> No, she is very special, and and no, I just there, there's been and and uh, yeah, I mean she's she's, she's um, done something wonderful for London Jazz News, but I think that's probably too long a story for now. The other things that have been happening is that Mr. Mark Lewandowski has just won a competition. Oh, what did he win? He's he one of won... our. He's in the pipeline for a future show. I've just been too stupid and slow to actually speak to him, but this might be the this might be the time, Seb. You it's might. the University of South Africa, which I think is in Pretoria, and they had two competitions. They've had, had one for a classical string player, and they had one for a jazz string player, and he won the latter. And uh, I, I mean, it's certainly on his Facebook feed, and I put up a couple of tweets about it and things, and I'm thrilled for him. I mean, his, since he's been, it's almost seven years he's been in New York now, and he's been you know, in that Juilliard ensemble in the kind of footsteps of... Um, of Doug Mariner, and I just think it, it. And he's got he's got this gig with, uh, um, you know, he's he's very often at, at Smalls in a in a in a duo, and he's he's you know he's make he's made his way. I think you know if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Um, mm. that, the British musicians actually carving out a name for themselves, um, and and he's he's one of them, and he's a, a lovely guy and a lovely player, and I'm really thrilled for him. So that was. Uh, that was that was that, and uh, that's wonderful. Oh, fantastic! Well, that's a great way to segue me actually interviewing Mark. Yes, I've been very useless. Well, we've had a fantastic guest, uh, Luke Manning, who I absolutely adore. He's released an astonishing EP, "Noises with Friends," and we're going to have a little listen now to one of the singles of that EP, "A Concrete Kiss." 
Welcome to the Jazz Podcast. I'm your host, Tara Minton, and I'm here today with the wonderful Luca Manning. Hey, Luca. Hiya. How are you doing? I'm grand. I, I'm just going to put a disclaimer out <laughs> right now. I feel like my brain is being drilled by the, by the neighbours who have had kind of incessant drilling going on for many, many days now. So I'm really sorry if you can hear that in the background. It's not my my stomach it's it's some drilling um but you know we're here we're surviving it'll be fine how many times have we rescheduled this this podcast chat uh more times than i care to mention but listen we're here now so it's fine we're here now we are here i've been looking forward to this and you're the first podcast of 2022 Woo! here we go fresh energy yeah so for people who don't know you can you just give us a quick overview overview of who you are uh well at the moment i'd say my life revolves around three things mm-hmm. and they are snogging boys making coffee and writing sad songs and that's pretty much my life at the moment i i describe myself as an artist who questions rigidity so like i'm trying to i i don't really tie myself to any one discipline or or scene um i just always want to be growing and evolving and i suppose i, I make things in the form of music and i I'm quite gobby so I host a podcast and I enjoy the worlds of fashion and 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 now I'm writing silly wee poems and yeah I, I try and finger a lot of pies maybe because I can't do any of them well enough <laughs> not at all you're wonderful so Thanks. I'm really interested about this cross-medium thing um because mm. I love working with contemporary dancers and I love working with visual artists same 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 so talk to me about kind of expression across mediums well I think when right so as children we just play Mm. and we're so uninhibited and there's like a sense of wonder and everything and you can you you know I think parameters are instilled in us from from birth and that and that can be quite problematic so like we're taught to instantly like color and within the lines and and to to replicate things that we see in a really rigid way, not perhaps in the way that we see them, because we all see life through our own lens, right? Mm. So I think, you know, when I first was getting creative, like I, I just remember like being very uninhibited in a in a beautiful way and 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 exploring loads of different things, whether it was performing or drawing or or just kind of I don't know the way I I, to, I spoke to folk and the way I experienced things felt very. I was just soaking it all up and then as you begin to train mm-hmm. and uh you know went to conservatoire and, and had like private music lessons and 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 that was amazing like don't get me wrong like I think you you know training helps immensely but um it can alter your it can skew your your 
your goals in a way so that everything kind of there's this kind of hierarchy of, of skills and knowledge that's acquired and and you know I went to to jazz college at the same time as you and and like you know I've, I spent four years learning how to do this one thing mm. quite well very very niche how to sing jazz right like that that's one little tiny thing in a world of creative and in, in the creative world so I, my, my parameters got instantly quite quite narrow and quite direct so I think as I was graduating I, I kind of went full circle and, and began to find love in things that scared me and excited me and that was embracing other art forms and um, like working and I love collaborating with folks so working with dancers and poets and visual artists and and just even other sound worlds um, and also that partly came from having so much strain on my instrument as a singer yeah like when all you ever do is sing um you run into problems especially at the level you know I, I was like I only ever knew excess in, in all aspects of my life really yeah. um so I was working and partying and studying and just doing it all and that was great but it did physically catch up with me so I had a period about around this time last year actually where I just had to like take quite a lot of time off singing and I suddenly had this like total existential of like who am I without my voice like how do I express my creativity without my voice yeah I had no idea how to do that and it was so traumatic and I was literally silenced and my voice was how I asserted myself it was my identity it was it, it was everything and and I had no clue what to do and then I realized oh wait but back when I was a kid like it didn't matter if I couldn't like sing because I'd just do something else um to express my creativity and, and who I was so I kind of found that again and then it's so free and and then I look at all the, and then it made sense it all fell into place like I looked at all the artists that I admired mm. and they were all doing that they, they were continually evolving and they refused to be boxed in by any one art form or one stylistic genre of music or whatever it was and and I was just like oh this makes sense now like I don't need to conform um and I think especially when you redefine your own parameters of success yeah when you're thinking less through a kind of commercial lens or like a a media lens or like how someone's going to write about you or whatever and if you're just creating for the love of it you 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 lose your inhibitions and you can you can just you know do whatever you want because who's going to stop you nobody's going to die we're not brain surgeons (laughs) i say that to my students all the time when they have a meltdown about a mistake it's so important so important like nobody is gonna die yeah if you sing a wrong note. I wish I knew you in 2018 because I had a um well early 2018 because I had a vocal issue as well which turned out to be fine mm. but I had that period of silence yeah and the existential crisis that came with it and I didn't have the uh the insight that you had of realizing that we're artists and that the medium is just the medium Mm, yeah yeah I think it's it's, the other interesting thing is that the minute you're the first person to say in a room full of singers that I went through this thing everyone else has been through it and or or to some greater or lesser extent yeah so that's the other thing that I really found because I decided to not hide what I was going through Mm -hmm. and um kind of was talking to people and 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 found such amazing community amongst other people that had been through a similar thing and it's really completely revolutionized the way I think about my voice and my practice and and like the physical demand and and the mental demand of what we put ourselves through 
Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't straight away, you know. I'm no, I'm no guru. Like I still struggle all the time, um, and need to remind myself. It wasn't like I had instant insight. It was a, I had a great team of people supporting me that kind of instilled this wisdom in me, um, mm. and and found it through my own journey. It took about a year to fi- to figure out my mindset about the whole thing, but it did mean I was like open to to exploring other stuff because I wasn't just like a gigging machine anymore. It was like oh yeah, what happened? Why don't we start a podcast and, and start finding joy in other things and like clothes and, you know, and yeah, kind of gave me an opportunity. You're signed to, is it supermodel management now? Yeah, yeah, that kind of came about again at a similar time. Um, but I mean, so my, my love of fashion, I love that it brings you joy. I, I think like ultimately like, I think one of my favourite quotes are like, clothes aren't about how you look, it's about how you feel. Yeah. And I think um, there can be something super um, like opaque and and like two dimensional about the fashion industry that mm-hmm. I still don't know how I feel about, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about um, people being seen in such a an aesthetic based or transactional way or, or dispensable way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was pretty much invisible for most of my life because I grew up like really fat. So the fashion world was like never accessible to me. I always loved it. And I actually remembered recently like drawing, like I always used to draw like figures that I loved and like with amazing clothes. And I had this like encyclopedia of punk and I was obsessed with the fashion section with like Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren. And my mum was like a punk neuromantic and I loved all that stuff. And like, um, yeah, so I've always loved it, but it wasn't accessible to me. And then it became more accessible to me obviously my body changed a lot but also the world has moved on a lot yeah um even in the short space of time that I've been on the planet um and then yeah this opportunity to work with super came up and and that's been really exciting um but I think you know that that's kind of like the industry side of things but perhaps more organically has just been my own experimentation with how how aesthetic is a part of of my craft yeah. So like a lot of the looks that you see, like I might make or put together or like I, I'll, I'll reach out personally to, to another, to a designer or to, or, or to someone else, another creative and be like, let's do something together. So it's, it's just like reaching out to a guitar player and being like, let's write a song. It's like, let's, you know, arms outstretched, let's work together. And, and, you know, I think of artists that I love like Moses and Bjork and, and, and the aesthetic thing is like totally just as much a part of it. And it's about creating this immersive world. Um, and it's freedom, right? It's like, it's liberation. It's like, you know, I think you become free. I, I heard a look, this incredible, incredible artist speaking on a podcast yesterday and it was in, they said like, I became free by being around free people. And like, mm. I guess just like the folk that are inspiring me, like I'm looking at them and like, I'm kind of like, dipping my toes in those waters and it feels great like so yeah yeah, I I love it and it's bloody camp and great time you know (laughs) I got to I got to fill in for a Björk tour um Mm. just before coming to the guild hall and I was wearing a jumpsuit that she wore it had her name on it that's incredible I never wanted to shower again (laughs) I live in fact I think I I knew that actually I remember you coming to guild hall and being like oh my god she played with Björk I just was stepping in and stepping out again. She has this um, very good friend who's British but now lives over there, James, who makes all of those beautiful intricate masks that she's now wearing. I love, I love. I mean, yeah, like her, if you think about like 
her expanse as an artist like yeah. and the team around her like the producers the videographers the set designers the costume designer. i mean it's insane and it's beautiful like, i'm just like okay like that is that is like a fully immersive experience and like the way yeah the li- i've never been to a live show but like you know i i need to do it but um yeah i've heard all kinds of things yeah yeah so as somebody who's of a group that's not highly represented do you feel any kind of pressure to to represent yeah i think i think i wrestle with it quite a lot like so i've definitely like found i've got a lot better at being myself in Mm. the past few years you know i think on the surface you see a lot of change but what i've figured out is actually i'm just figuring out better how to be myself Mm. Um, so therefore I have a much more like direct relationship with my queerness and how I want to express that and then I was thinking a lot about like I did my dissertation while I was at Guildhall on queerness and jazz music and wow. and I think it's a really interesting one it's like for me jazz as, a, as an art form is inherently queer in its process it's like this music that was born out of oppression and it's like you need to bear your soul as as an improviser and and like it was this kind of be like hotbed for like bohemian like self-expression and the underground and and there was a lot of freedom in it um mm. initially but we've kind of institutionalized it and yeah. it's therefore become more inaccessible and has its own kind of uh, rigid kind of things that come with it so so I've always felt it slightly, you know, I've always felt when I've been going against the grain somewhat. And then, yeah, as I, as I started to vocalise that, it was, it did feel sometimes like folk were looking to me for some kind of response. And it was like, well, I I, I'm just like, all I can, all I can draw from is my own lens on the world. And, mm. and of course, I, I believe in community. I think community is really important. But it is interesting when like, you get like like pride month comes along and you get flung all this work yeah for a month and then it goes away again and it's like well why don't you play my music the rest of the year because you know at what point it's a very very difficult balance to strike it's like how much does our queerness influence what we create for me that should be at the autonomy of the artist right like so at the moment i'd say there's a, a very direct tunnel which my queerness influences what I create because it's it's I'm on the queerer side of life it's it's part of my being like it's 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 I used to not want to be defined as a queer artist mm-hmm. and now I realized it's actually an integral part of who I am and a, and a brilliant part of who I am because it allows me to to just like go beyond the kind of mediocrity of the, of, of of every of everything else yeah um so I'm quite happy like saying I'm a queer artist but the problem is, it's like, I also want to talk about the creative process. Yeah. I, I don't want to just sit and have to justify my existence or like, or explain my, my day to day. I want to be able to talk about the art. Yeah. Well, speaking about uh, music, I'm completely obsessed with noises with friends. Mm, thank you. Thank you really, for listening to it. Really, really am. I love it. I could hear Thanks. Bjork in, in that. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I suppose it's the most adventurous release I've done really where I've actually 
I, and I think that happened because I never intended to release it. Like we made it with without intention to release. They're they're literally rehearsal demos. Ah, yeah, they're that's super amazing. Messy. They were recorded in a, a in a living room with no isolation. Like all the mics bleed, and it's it's hilarious. No, but I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, same. That that's why I released it. But like, basically, the the project came about because I mean I love playing with with so if Hugo Piper, um amazing bass player and Christos Stelianidis who's a trumpet player but he's using like drum machines and electronics and and Ableton and then I'm singing and, and playing a bit of uke and and like we're we're running through we're, we're on Ableton like li- live reacting like putting effects through live so there's no post stuff wow. on there that was all done in the moment so there was no editing you so it's mad right so I think that was some of the early like we we've been last night was the first time we ever played that music live wow and it was much more like refined and like we had idea much more of an idea of what we we're doing but these these demos that constitute the ep were were pretty much improvisations like i'd show them the song which would be really kind of basic and then we just like start and see what happened oh. so we i had all these rehearsal demos and it was just so we could listen back to them so we could figure out what we were doing and we mm. we would meet like weekly in Hugo's flat and drink lots of coffee and make music and then and I was talking to different people in the in the kind of creative worlds and I, w- I kind of thought why am I holding back like waiting for the right moment for everything mm. to happen like I'm in I'm an independent artist I'm in control of my output I'm kind of fed up of everything being unattainably perfect and 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 beautiful and studio recorded so I thought I'm gonna sink into the messiness here and just like release these as they are, and I called it "Noises with Friends," and and that's what it began. And also because so we we'd made it without any foresight of like oh this is gonna you know how it's mm. gonna be received and did it like I already had all my fulfillment in the creation of the in the process of making it that when it came to the release like I just it was so refreshing to not be on any kind of hustle like it, it was just like I just was like I'm just putting it out to like put it out you know and and it's been lovely and and coinst- weirdly it's like been maybe the most engaged response I've ever had and I've just so that's been really lovely and like and it goes to show that sometimes we don't always need to be like pushing things at a hundred like it, they, they mm. will resonate if they resonate and and that's okay like you know I, I want to going forward I really want to like remember that just find an enjoyment in the actual process of creating things and yeah then once you've set it free you've set it free it's like you need to kind of let it go it's really interesting what you were saying about the um improvising to ableton i really mm. struggle with kind of jazz and beats because it often lacks the one thing that i love about jazz which is the the reaction and the spontaneity the jazz, and, yeah 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 yeah, the jazz. Um, and it's kind of in vogue right now, you know, hotel lobbies all over the place are really getting into that sound and I struggle with it. Yeah. Um, and so when I was listening to yours, I was really like, I love this. And what what is different about this, that, you know, from all of the other electronic ambient jazz that I've been sent? And you've you've just answered that by saying that you were reacting to the computer as if it was another musician. Yeah, and I suppose, like, for me, like, there's undoubtedly elements of the jazz process in there, like, um, mm. like where 
the improvisatory nature and like some of the harmony but like even then that's a stretch like i i don't know if i would even stretch to call it a jazz record like that you know all i knew was that it was just an adventure to me like it was just a total adventure it was like new stuff that i'd been writing you know like the last track is a poem that i record into my phone in the toilet of brunswick east coffee shop in dalston like it's it's just like i love that it's totally <laughs> like it's not like i don't know it wasn't premeditated and like i know what i wanted to create in that moment like i definitely mm. had like and you know i had a, a kind of like a route that i wanted to go down but i didn't know if it was gonna work or not you know and even now it's so interesting playing that music live mm. um now because it's evolved so much like the the live mm -hmm. set is it's the same material but it's it sounds wildly different because we have a lot more sophisticated in terms of like the you know christos bought like a proper drum machine and we're able to program stuff and like grid stuff and but even that we're all learning like christos is having like an aneurysm because he doesn't really know what he's doing like it's great like but like none of us really know what we're doing at any time so i love that though because I, I was so fed up of like showing up to gigs and like counting yeah. in standards and like it literally felt like i had a nine to five like i was just going through the motions mm. and i just wanted to feel scared again like i just wanted to like be like <gasps> i don't know what i'm doing but i love it and that's kind of what this has given me yeah well, speaking about nine to five, it, and it's a terribly unkind way to introduce a record that's been released today because obviously it's wonderful, but you were on um, British Standard Time with Alex Webb. Oh, yeah. I was like, where are you going with this, Dolly <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I was on that record. So tell me about that process. How was it working with Alex? I, it was lovely. It was lovely. I'd actually never... Oh, I'd met him once before, mm -hmm. I think. Um... But yeah, he just reached out. I think we we're still in lockdown at that point. Um, mm. And I just got back into singing. So I thought, oh, this would be fun just to have a bit of a sing. And yeah, it was it was lovely to be a part of it. There's some great musicians on there. Um, and yeah, all the best to Alex with the release, I guess. Now, you're a resident artist at The Roundhouse. I am. Sounds That's so posh, cool. It? it is cool. It's very, very cool. Um, but Camden guess, was my like home, you know, my my cultural home in London for years. Really? Yeah, I uh, that's where I spent most of my time before I moved to Greenwich. Wow. So I've spent many many nights there and around there. And when I read that, I was like, Oh, Luca, you're killing it! Mm, thank you. I mean, I guess everything that I've just talked about um, is facilitated by that place. Mm -hmm because I was really looking for an opportunity that I was just graduating in the summer and I was really looking for an opportunity to just like have somewhere where I could explore all these new adventures and mm. the roundhouse were like, yep, yeah, we'll support you. So I have a space to, to, to try things out both kind of like physically and kind of metaphorically, like just freedom to, you know, I'm not, it's not, what I love about that program is like I'm part of this family of like other creatives. There's eleven of us, and there's like poets, performance artists, theatre makers, musicians of all types. Like we're all pretty multidisciplinary. We all collaborate. Like Kaziah Hodgkin is gonna um, do an opening spoken word set at my EP launch next week. And, Amazing. Um, like I saw, and then yeah, like we get mentored, we get masterclasses. 
and the the team at their own house are just amazing like i love it because it's like an iconic venue but it's also an amazing charity and like it does so mm. much to help young creative people and it's run so many programs and um i'm just so happy to be a part of it and and like last night um we we got to open for richard dawson in the main space for the in the round festival wow. and that yeah. was like mad like just getting to like step on that stage and and like yeah play the roundhouse was was mad um and that was the first time we'd played the the ep live but um yeah just opportunities like that it's amazing and it and it's not tied to any one discipline or scene or you know it's so expansive in its output so it, it feels really freeing to be a part of that and yeah i love it love the roundhouse yeah so how long is your residency lasting for a year amazing so i'm like i think i started in, in october so i've got a wee while wee while yet i'm kind of curious i want to pick your brain because whenever i'm making music i'm very i'm very present yeah but i hate having my photo taken it instantly takes me outside of myself and i'm observing myself and i'm not able to observe myself and be myself at the same time yeah totally um so it's like a sense of performance anxiety really where you're like you feel very out of control and like and maybe insecure and you're not able to like really be present or let go in the moment mm. I, I know i certainly had those experiences with music and, and with everything every kind of discipline so i think it's a similar thing really um you've maybe just not been in front of a camera having your photo taken as many times as you've been on a stage playing the harp um, indeed so it's, pra <laughs> it's, it's practice right like um yeah yeah and like also um I make the best music or the best anything when I'm with people that I can be comfortable with and vulnerable with. Yeah. So like if I think a lot of the time artists, the the photos thing is such an afterthought. So like you surround yourself in a really comfortable studio with musicians you love and, and it's all very wholesome and you make amazing music and then you're like, I need some photos. So I'm going to like DM this random person on Insta and like who is apparently good at some generic headshots and then spend a really awkward day with them and not really yeah. like my photos it's like no build a relationship with another creative person that you love mm -hmm. that takes amazing photos that you can like go for coffee with and like that gets your music that listens to the music that understands what you're about like it should be as much a part of the creative process in my opinion like that's what I'm trying to strive for and therefore you get photos that are authentic and 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 hopefully capture what you're trying to capture because otherwise yes yeah, it's, it's really uncomfortable like I've definitely been uncomfortable in front of a camera before and, and had to really like perform. And, I, and oh my God, yeah, my yeah. like respect for like models went up like massively, like after my first like shoot. Um, mm. Cause I was like done in, I had to go home and have a bath. And I was like physically and mentally exhausted. It was like, you're having to perform and yeah. really capture like, and, and you're being pushed to do things that you really didn't expect. So but I think comfort and being able to be vulnerable, you know, it's, it's such an exposing thing um, to be photographed and to be filmed. And you mm. need to surround yourself with people that, that make you feel good because otherwise it's, yeah, it's torture. Yeah. I hope that helps. I don't know. Like, that's my no, it does. I invite, I invite a friend usually to... Uh, yeah, to, just to like, like settle the atmosphere, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I find with music particularly in our art form and, and art forms that aren't basically generic pop. Mm. Um, there's, there's this freedom to explore sounds that are not, you know, quote unquote pretty. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of 
just the range of, of who you can be and what you can create and, and how you can sound is, is greater. So you can embrace, you know, crunchy noises and ugly yeah. ugliness um, as, as valid as you can embrace beauty and clarity and all of that. Um, but I think visually I, uh, I still struggle with, with that. And it's my own problem. I get in my own head about it, you know? Well, yeah, I think that's probably true of most of us, but let's try and work on that then. So yeah. like as, as much work as it took, cause, cause we weren't, I don't think that we were born. No, not born. We probably were born, but then we've been conditioned to like seek consonants in our musical ear and and now we get into jazz and we we kind of teach ourselves to to fall in love with dissonance again right mm. uh, or like the messiness or whatever it is but it took a lot of work like, like to be able to listen to myself in such a messy context especially my voice and all the imperfections and the cracks and the croaks and the, the singing flat thing you know that took a lot of work I used to cringe and my toes used to curl and now I'm like teaching myself it's like teaching myself to be at one with it so I think we need to do that visually as well. Like how often do we stop and look in the mirror and actually look at ourselves and like in what would be seen as like uglier contexts or more natural or perhaps just more natural contexts, mm. more bare or then more like crazy dressed or more like, I don't know. Like, I just think we don't look at ourselves enough in, in a kind of objective way, like in a way that's not so like, like informed by how we want to perceive ourselves. Like, there's a great K Tempest book called On Connection that mm -hmm. they wrote during the pandemic. And it's all about how uh, we can harness creativity to become like deeper connected with ourselves in the world. And it's really accessible. It's, it's super short and it's for everyone, whether you're a creative or not. But if you're a creative, it's like it will change your life. And in like the first opening pages, it talks about how performative we all are. And mm. like, there's a line that says that even before we're looking in the mirror, we adjust ourselves to hope to so that we can see what we hope to see reflected back at us. And yeah, it's yeah. so true. Like, so like, we we never really see ourselves. Like, there was there was this guy who like developed a true mirror, which was like two mirrors that were like attached at like some certain angle that actually meant you could see the reflection of how other people perceive you because you never really do. Yeah. So like these yeah, kind yeah. of things fascinate me. Like, can we actually look ourselves in the eye? I don't know. Some days we can, you know, and that's okay. But like, can we work on it? Maybe. And like for me, being able to explore my aesthetic, my body, my image after so long, like being told I was so repulsive, like is it's really got me thinking about these things. Like, how how far can I stretch it to really try and like look myself in the eye and be like, I I'm cool with it, you know? Yeah. But I I mean, I feel like I can hear that work in in what you've been producing recently, right. because all of, all of these questions aren't isolated. Nobody, well, you're certainly not uh, just a jazz singer. You know, mm. uh, there's so much multidisciplinary art forms all going into one. And I think as artists, the whole looking in the mirror thing is it's a big thing. You can't, yeah, you just can't separate any of these things. Yeah, yeah, I'm really, like, thank you, because I'm glad that it, it comes across. Like, I think that's what really I'm does. aiming to do. But that's also why I, I work in a coffee shop, because I can't be having these existential crises every day. Sometimes I just need to think about bread and pastries, and that's it, because um, it, gets, it gets hard. Have you ever been to Melbourne? No. We make the best coffee in the world. I know, literally everyone that comes in to the coffee shop I work in is, like, Australian, and they sell our coffee 
That's great. And that means a lot because I know that you take coffee very seriously. We do. My next question is, do you have a coffee grinder at your house? I actually don't. So I'm actually sh- at like making coffee at home. Like I've been meaning to do the whole setup thing and have a grinder. And like, I was like, do I get an AeroPress? Do I have V60? I don't know. And now I just end up spending absurd amounts of money on, on coffee every day at various coffee shops around my area. I quite like the process of like, going for coffee and like the experience of it and then they're like flirting with the barista and the whole like I mean I'm actually I'm kind of in love with it it's like a whole dance to me if I was just making it at home it's like oh god it's boring see I have a bialetti ah it's my morning routine and it's quite nice you know it's very tactile yeah no I do also really like the process of making coffee like but the thing is when you do it for 10 and a half hours a day then on your days off you might want to have it made by someone else yeah Totally. I love coffee. Oh my God, me too. Mm. Me too. So good. But I, I don't allow myself uh, takeaway coffees unless I remember my cup. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah. But it's meant that I've, I ne- I'm now forced to actually sit down and enjoy the coffee. Yeah, totally. That's so true. Rather than like rushing around the street, spilling half of it down yourself, it's like you can enjoy it. Yeah, it. because for me, it really is a pleasure. Same, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an indulgence. How many do you have a day? Just one. <gasps> See, that's what I used, I, I went through a period of having one a day as well, and I must say I enjoyed it far more than the amount of coffee I have now, which is like three. But, like, it's so hard. Because I, I stopped drinking as well, like, a little over six months ago. So mm-hmm. I feel like the coffee is just my, my indulgence that I have left. So I'm like, all the caffeine, yes, please. You don't have to justify yourself to me. Yeah, I know. know. (laughs) You get it, you get it, you get it. Totally. So there's a quote, um, I think you wrote it on your website, that I really love um, and it's so pertinent. I really kind of want to finish on this. So an antithesis to this performative perfection that has us chasing our tails and confusing creation with content. I did write that. Yeah. Sublime. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I feel a rage against the Instagram, Twitter, TikTok movement where art has been reduced to content. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's capitalism, really. Yeah. We, yeah. I mean, art became commodity a long time ago, but it's, I think it's it's changed in the way that I guess when it became when it was like a booming industry in the 80s where the labels had like loads of money at least they were like giving artists loads of money to make records and there was of course a pressure to like come up with the goods and and create content but it was maybe slightly more direct where now we're expected to create content all the time 24 hours a day from our bedrooms for like no like reciprocative worth and like I just don't really understand it and for me it's so inauthentic and like it's it's just like really depressing I think and like the minute I was able to like shift my mindset just a tiny bit because I'm still having to work on it all the time but the the Mm. minute I was able to like breathe again and go why am I actually doing this because at the moment I'm not in a position where I aspire to make any money from what I create so there's not that pressure so Mm -hmm. I'm purely creating because I 
because I don't know what would happen if I didn't because I because mm. I, I'm compelled to because I, I I want to and I'm inspired and it comes to me as and when I feel that and and I just think it's so depressing how we're on like all, all on this hustle and like it becomes like so driven by like competition and like and economics and commercial success and it's so like flawed and and sad and I I think that some people are amazing at, at it because it's like a skill right is it anything else is but you know for me I found such I find new adventures when I've whenever I've sought to kind of disappear for a while you know there was that amazing yeah. Michaela Cole quote recently that said don't be afraid to disappear for a while and see mm. what comes to you in the silence like or, the, or in the solitude and I think it's something that we just we need to learn we need to have the freedom to switch off again and, and not not worry about it, it just becomes like I, I think I've got to a point recently where like I felt like I was like you know when you need to buy toothpaste but you keep forgetting and you keep yeah. squeezing it like yeah it was literally yeah. the end of a toothpaste tube with everything and I was just like why am I doing this and I just like quit all my gigs like reduced my working hours like and I honestly go through this like every six months because it happens again because I think the nature like you know we are all living in in capitalism so and in London so like mm. there is you know I'm already in a position of privilege being able to sit here and say I don't need to make money from my art but like you, we can find ourselves slipping back into it so easily like when everything came back after like the lockdown every single creative person I spoke to was exhausted and it just made me really depressed because I was yeah. like wait I thought we weren't gonna go back to this like what you know and we're meant to be grateful for everything and and actually very few people are surviving on it you know it's like they're exhausted yeah, yeah. but they're not living they're not living they're exhausted but they're not living and that is exactly what I find really depressing and then people having to like feeling compelled to like create 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 when there's no inspiration for that creation it's purely driven by the need to keep to keep up face or whatever it is like to, to provide yeah. product so I've got this this thing now where I um I'm I'm kind of coaching myself to be okay with the cycle mm. you know so in the creative periods I'm being creative and I have this hat that I wear in the house now that my husband is also working from home and if I've got my hat on he can't come and talk to me <laughs> That's incredible. I need that just for anyone all the time. Well, when I get into the flow state, even if he comes and gives me a kiss on the cheek, he's broken my flow state yeah. and I get so ragey. Get out of my flow state right now. Yeah. So I just, I'm like, I turn off my phone. I, I don't get any notifications. I put on my flow hat and then leave me alone. Amazing. It's great. I love that. Uh, yeah. And then, but then I allow myself uh, you know, when you're in the process of promoting a record, say, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to be visiting my flow place that often at the minute because my job's different, but it's only for a short time. And then, you know, I know I find it all the time. I'm really guilty. Like at the moment, you know, I've been, even though I've not been on the hustle, I've been, you know, we released the EP and then we've got some gigs. So I've been like rehearsing the music and stuff. And then I'm like, oh, I've not written anything for a while. And I'm like, well, of course you haven't written anything for a while because yeah. I'm not in that headspace at all. Like I'm I'm consuming lots of amazing things that'll probably feed out in my work at some point, but I'm not able to, you know, there's only so much space the brain can can occupy. Yeah. And and it's like 
we need to allow it. Also, like, go and see your pals. Go and yeah. have sex. Go and do something fun. Like, you know, it's all part of us. I don't understand. There shouldn't be a hierarchy of, of activity as well, I think. I think we need to allow it, all, all of us to exist. And, and it's just rubbish if we're in any one thing for too long, I think. Completely. Luke, you're you're really amazing. You definitely inspire me, and I oh, am sure you. that you will inspire our listeners as well. Thanks so much. You're great. Thanks for being so supportive and and chatting. I'm just a genuine fangirl. Ah, well, can I put that on my website? <laughs> yes. <laughs> amazing. So good luck with the release of Noises with Friends and all of the amazing things that you're doing. Um, please visit Luca Manning Bandcamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And good luck with your release as well. And don't, don't let the bastards grind you down. That's what I say. <laughs> I am into that. All right. Thank you, Luca. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. What a stunning guest, Tara. How did you decide? Because Luca was a guest that you had chosen. What, mm. do, have you like met him before? Do you, do you know him? Tell me. The... We studied together at the Guildhall. Oh, nice. He was in second year when I was doing my masters, um, and I witnessed I witnessed this real becoming with him. He he's become such an incredible artist, um, and isn't defined by genre or even medium. Um, I'm just truly inspired by his fearlessness at the minute, and his music. The music that he's producing is stunning. It is. It's one of those where, like, I completely agree with you. The, the, it's a stunning EP and when I listen to it you know you know those feelings where you're like oh I wish I'd released this but also if I had it wouldn't have been this so I couldn't have but I wish you know what I mean it's great it's so interesting yeah. to listen to no I love him and I love how um, I mean I had quite a time editing out all of his Scottish swearing mm, did you bleep it? <laughs> no I don't have a bleep sound uh, so I just found nifty ways of getting oh, fantastic and creative yeah, not as creative as Looper, yeah. of course, or, or his fabulous swearing, but we, we did our best. Um, can I change the subject? So, can I ask you, do you watch The Six Nations? It's only fair to Looper if we, if we at least talk about the fact that Scotland had, had, had obviously pulled off a historic victory, it's fair to say. Absolutely, I think Scotland absolutely deserved to win. And there's a there's a there's always a, an irony about the, the rugby, which is that the, the, the RFU and English rugby has so many players. There are more affiliated players, and yet it is in the end. I mean, you know, from the number of, of registered players, Scotland shouldn't be able to give Yorkshire a game. Um, but you know, there is. Um, but but they and what they do and what they've you know what they've what they achieve. And now that's two Calcutta mm. cuts in a row for, for Scotland, which is which is just just fantastic. When I was in Australia a few years ago, I sent my husband a uh, I know a nice text saying I missed him, and it was the middle of the Six Nations, and he sent back just an emoji of a rugby ball. <laughs> it didn't go down well. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was thinking the Guildhall had a had a lovely event the other night. After I interviewed mm-hmm. Andrew Cohen, going back to that, I was just walking down the street and ran into Mick Foster, and he said, "You you going to the talk?" I said, "What's that?" And uh, 
It was uh, Jim McNeely, you know, the arranger, and he was doing it because he had a concert later in the week, and he was doing a thing for the students. And uh, there was, you know, people like Pete Churchill and Colleague at the Crane were all just in the audience to to listen. Um, And it was absolutely fascinating about his craft as a as a composer and his story and the story of particular pieces that he found and uh, and he just he took her questions and and uh, two hours went very very quickly indeed it was a lovely evening and uh, you, know, the, you know these these colleges do and the little in particular do do something very very special and invite these people in and it was you know it was scott stroman who wanted him to be there and uh, and to work with the students and it was uh, these are these are special times, and uh, it was very well attended. And uh, um, you know, he's a very articulate, very thoughtful person. And, it, and I mean, here and his story. I mean, of, you know, he's, he was the pianist in the, in the group, small groups of Stan Getz and Phil Woods. He's, he's, yeah. he's not nobody. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> what a brilliant! I mean, talk about like being judged by by like the people who are in the audience at your event as well. Like if, if you know, yeah. when you're looking around and you're like, wow, everyone's here, this is incredible. If they, uh, you know, if I caught those guys in an audience when I was playing, I would, I would, uh, I don't know what would happen because it will probably never happen. But yeah, weird. Now we have a campaign to get Nikki Isles mm. onto the jazz But she said she'd come on in 2016 when we were organizing our first ever 10 guests and so for like five years now we've chased her but um nikki it's time i promised her at the last gig i saw her at that i would hound her and she said yes please do and i have been and now i feel a bit awkward about how much i'm hounding her but nikki don't make me start a hashtag don't make me come over there (laughs) come on the show (laughs) You're uh, you're fabulous, and everybody wants to hear your story. Especially stories. this award. I want to hear about the awards. Yes. I want to hear about her adventures in Australia with a eight-month-old. The best thing ever. What a great, what an inspiration yeah. that is. Yeah. Right, Zeb, Tara, it's time. You have been listening. Well, not you. Uh, it, the listeners have been listening to the jazz podcast. We've been listening to each other. What a joy it's been. Ah, oh, hopefully. Happy birthday! Yes, five long, painful years. Here's to many more. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you soon. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Bye bye.